0: It is the Last Minute Blues podcast. Donnie Fandango joined in studio uh, by Alex Ferrario from 101 ESPN and Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic. Gentlemen, all I have to say right now. Is it is so wonderful to see both of your faces in the same room? This is great. Yeah,
1: I know. I miss you guys. I was I was in Toronto for a couple days, and I saw the text messages flying back and forth. You guys were getting together <laughs> no, for didn't. the
2: pod, and I'm sitting there thinking, "Gosh, I went it." No, not really. Yeah, i was no. gonna say no, you didn't. That's and, just like when I did miss you guys when I was out. Like I was well, nice to be gone. And, and
0: let's let's and, and let's pull, pull this apart just a little bit there, Alex, because I don't believe when when you would initially ask, "Hey, are we podcasting tomorrow?" I don't believe that. That Jr. responded with words. No, he didn't. I think it was yeah. just pictures, pictures from
2: Robert Thomas's parents Honestly, house. He one-upped himself <laughs> with the name drops. He didn't respond with a name drop. He took a picture of Robert Thomas's house and sent it to us, <laughs> and not the outside of it like a creeper, the inside of it like, oh yeah, I'm in Robert Thomas's house. Well, I
1: gotta tell you guys. So you know, I planned that what a month or so ago, and and reached out to Robert Thomas's mom and dad, uh, Scott and Deb, and and said, hey, listen, Blues are coming to Toronto. I'd love to come stop by see where. Robert grew up. Write a story about how he became who he is, and and I'm telling you, in 20 years of doing making those types of phone calls and asking parents for some help, I've never had the hospitality hospitality that you get from uh, the Thomases. It was amazing. Come on up, we'll pick you up at the train station. You're gonna get to the Aurora stop. My truck will be there. It's a black truck. You know, it, it, it's unbelievable. And then so he sent me a text message talking about Scott Thomas, and he said, "Here's the four dinner options for tomorrow night when you come." Oh, come and it on. Says, Chicken, parm, veal, marsala. Marry Me Chicken, and and, it, and the list goes on. And I go, um, how about all of them? All like,
2: can you make all four and package three of them up?
1: <laughs> so, so, guys, I, I stop at uh, the Aurora train stop. There's the black truck, picks me up, and we and we go to his house. And he goes, hey, uh, there's actually a sign in town that says, you know, home of Robert Thompson. I go, go. I want to take a picture for yeah. the story. But first, where's my field Marsala? <laughs> <laughs> so we do a little five-minute uh, drive by the sign and, and take the picture sure and you know just a small town canada he, he's there at uh, saint andrews academy the school and you know he and connor mcdavid some other guys skate there in the off season and, and we go back to the house i gotta tell you guys this story so you go back and you hear so much about the uh, the rink that he had in the backyard obviously all the canadians they flood the backyard they have mm-hmm. the rink well robert Thomas's is, is where everybody the whole neighborhood went there to to play hockey so now that the kids are gone they took the rink down, but he's turned it into like this curling lane. So, legit 50 feet, what? 10 foot wide, and it's got the spray-painted circle at the oh. end, and they've got a tiki bar, and and they go out there and they curl, and he goes, there, step on the ice, step on the ice. Well, listen, I've done all the self-deprecating jokes in the world. You guys have heard them, right? So, anyway, my fat ass, all like 292 pounds of me on a good day, I, I step on this curling iron ice, and all of a sudden, I hear it go,
2: Oh, my <laughs> oh. <laughs> So Scott's like, get off, get off, get off. (laughs) So
1: it it did not break, but uh, (laughs) but we got off and and just went inside and they got this island in the kitchen and we just sat there for three hours and and uh, talked about Robert and and last thing, um, his mom is famous for her cookies. She makes chocolate chip cookies. When he won the Stanley Cup, they had the thing filled with her chocolate Mm -hmm. chip cookies, and they're really good friends with the Kachucks, Keith and and Chantel. And so uh, (laughs) so she goes downstairs and gets a cookie. From the freezer brings it up sets it on the island it thaws out in whatever 20 minutes and i eat this cookie and i take a picture of me eating the cookie with with deb and we send it to keith kachuk <laughs> the text message all caps from big walt lay off the cookies jr <laughs> <laughs> that's, dude amazing. that's awesome
0: that uh, is so awesome what do you man like what do you get from his folks that, that kind of tell you a little bit about the guy h- himself. Obviously, you know, man, I feel like a lot of times we are reflections in one way, shape, or form of our folks. We take some of those traits. Sometimes we don't, but but what did you see, man?
1: Yeah, no, so uh, it, it's a three-hour, you know, sit in the kitchen, the recorder, it's like the recorder's not even there, right? You, you know that, and you put it in the, you know, they don't, they're don't. they talking, and, and they just tell stories about his upbringing and things that they recall. I, I, I do remember one where, Um, They said, okay, listen, you're going to this nice school down the street, St. Andrews. You have the opportunity to go to college and become whatever you want to be. But, you know, if you want to go play junior hockey somewhere and leave the house at age 15, you know, that could be a path, too. It's all up to you. So go upstairs and make a list of pros and cons. Robert Thomas legit went upstairs to his room, piece of paper, they said, did a pros on the left, cons on the right, thought it out, wrote it out, came downstairs and made a case to his parents why he wanted to go to junior hockey really? and, and go to London and leave at age 15. And they said, Robert, is this really want you, what you want to do? And his dad, Scott, said he looked right at him in the eyes and said, Dad – I can do this. I want to do this, and you know the rest is history. He goes to London. He w- wins a Memorial Cup. He goes wins a World Junior Championship with Team Canada, and then wow. he's on the Blues the next year.
0: It is amazing to me, and I understand that it is the the way that it is. So I, I I'm not like questioning it, but I cannot imagine having a 15 year old son mm-hmm. and saying, hey. <laughs> Go ahead go, go somewhere else. else go live with someone else i mean the 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 trust tree that has to happen between those hockey families man that's got to be another level because I'm just not letting you stay at some rant.
2: Especially <sighs> for the world today to where, and, and like maybe Canada is just a different entity compared to what we are in the U S but like it to, to be able to send them with a family that I, I mean, I don't know how the billet family works that, that you don't know anything about. Now maybe you can talk to them beforehand or you meet with them, but like just, thinking of sending your child to live with somebody, you don't know what the rules of their house are. You don't know how they handle bringing up because it's not like at 15 years old you're a grown up. I was was an idiot at 15 years old. Like, still an idiot, but like that's just wild to think about. Well, we're thinking opposite cuz I would send my kid to live with you guys
1: any day of the week. You'll regret. Yeah. But you're right. So the billet family, I do remember the mom's name. The, the billet mom was uh, Angela because when I'm talking to Robert Thomas's mom, Deb, I said, "So did you talk to the family?" Like a couple times a week, and I think Scott spit out his coffee. A couple times a week, a couple times a day. I was gonna <laughs> and, say, yeah. And and Angel, I'm sorry, uh, Deb said, yeah, no, I called her a couple times a day. What's he doing? How's he doing? Yeah. Is he, can he call me? <laughs> you know. So it's it's a pretty tight relationship. And you know, here we are years later, and the Billet family they come to the NHL games, see Robert. There's Do, a deep appreciation. Do they go
2: there. to school when they're at Billet's families, like in juniors, or
1: is it just strictly hockey? Yeah. So I don't know his specific situation, but generally. Generally, yeah, they'll go do whatever is the arrangement in that town yeah. with that team. If, gotcha. if the kids are going to school or, you know, whatever, they're getting homeschooled or, or what have you. Uh, but there is some sort of
0: gotcha. education there. Do you think, and this was something that um, <clears throat> that Jeff brought up a bunch uh, back in the day when, you know, we would talk about, you know, Jamie leaving uh, his parents and, and and going. But, like, um, is there something inherently that these guys learn that when they are younger, by having to go to a host family, that they carry with him into the league. Because it just seems like in the NHL, man, it just seems like really, more often than not, some tremendous, maybe not tremendous, but good people that, that you're mm-hmm. dealing with. It just seems like hockey players seem to, to be like nice, pretty normal people by and large. Yeah. And do you think that has... Do you think that has something to do with, like, being forced at 15 to be? I mean, you're pretty much being an adult even though you're not.
1: I think it can go both ways. In a lot of cases, like Robert Thomas's, says, it, it goes well. I, we talked about that, he and his parents and I, about how it matured him and it turned him into an adult at a younger age because not only are you going upstairs, I mean, wh- what 15-year-old is going up and making pros and cons about a de- life-altering decision no like kidding. that? But then beyond that, yeah, the decisions that you have to make living away from your parents and the decisions that you have to make, you know, we, we're going to talk in the article when it is published eventually about, you know, you're 16, 17 years old and all your friends are eating at mcdonald's and you know because the trainer on the team is telling you hey buddy we got to do this this and this and you know matthew and brady came up to uh aurora where uh, robert's family Mm -hmm. lives because they wanted to train with gary roberts and that's who robert thomas was training with so they lived two doors down from robert thomas for uh, i think it was a year and same thing matthew when everybody talks about the relationship between matthew kachuk and robert thomas you know it's it's tight because all that time they've spent together Mm -hmm. and matthew you know they told me that he's saying okay this is what you need to eat if you want to be dedicated this is what you have to do and so i think what you're saying there uh really matters because uh you know these kids are forced to make those decisions but it can't go the other way jake wallman i remember him you guys remember him before he went to detroit uh his nickname Repo, and that's because uh, he thought his agent was going to take care of the car payments, and the agent oh. did not
2: take care of the car payments. <gasps> so, thus the
1: nickname. Oh my God! After having that vehicle, well, well welcome 3%. to be
2: learning to be an adult pretty quick. Uh, I mean,
1: right? those <laughs> learning experiences are
0: tough. Yeah. Hockey player or no? Um, wow, that's fascinating. That's so, wild. do we know? I mean, do you have like a ballpark when we'll see the Robert Thomas story, dude? Yeah,
1: you know, you want to turn it around as quickly as possible, right? Uh, the only thing is, uh, I still have a few more people to talk to, and you know, in in Journalism right now is the trade deadline kind of time period in terms of what we're focusing on with the trade deadline coming up on March 8th. So Mm -hmm. uh, the Robert Thomas piece might be one that comes out after the trade deadline just because uh, so much focus. It's
2: wild how the world of sports work because the trade deadline is a certain date and you could be two months out and that's the... That is the circle of the topic of discussion with that sport. Like <laughs> yeah. it is January 5th, not right now, but like January <laughs> 5th, I'm way off January 5th. And people are like, let's start talking trade deadline. Like baseball yeah. season is about to start off. People are already talking about, well, maybe they'll make adjustments at the trade deadline. Right. It is wild how sports work. It, it really is. And
0: also too like, and I say this too, even in the NBA, listen, my knowledge of the NBA is is minimal. Mm-hmm. But, dude, last week was their trade deadline, and I was all over it. Yeah. <laughs> like, it is just so fantastic. And then knowing that the NHL one is coming up and wondering what a bunch of these teams are going to do. Wondering, You know, like, I saw a rumor last night about Jake Allen going to Colorado. Yeah. All right? And listen, all respect to the snake. All respect. <clears throat> but I don't believe that Jake – the snake going to Colorado helps them all that much more than where they stand now. I just feel as though this whole thing seems real wide open right now. So these little, uh, these chess moves that are made between
1: now and the deadline and after, I can't wait. And Donnie, it's amazing to me. You would think that because of uh, the roster each year, the interest in the trade deadline might be a little bit different from year to year, but it doesn't matter if you've got the assets and it's, it's a Ryan O'Reilly and a Tarasenko, it's off the charts, right? And so you think, okay, well, Scandela, Sunquist, Kapanen, it probably not. Nope. <laughs> Every single day, it's, okay, well, if they're not going to trade them, is it going to be Buchanevich? Is it going to be Bennington? Yeah. You know, what's going to happen here? Cairo, so on and so forth. So you're right. It doesn't matter, whatever it is. So right now at the Athletic, I'm sure everywhere else, uh, we're really yep. dialed in on the trade deadlines. So. All right.
0: So this all said, all right? And this has been a room. That we have tried to be very cognizant of where the blues are in the process. Mm-hmm. All right. I have even tried to temper my own expectations as a fan. And which we did great at which it. it which right? I did it for a week. And, and then I and <laughs> then wasn't I, a week. And then I and then I realized <laughs> I I, it, I was a force. So <laughs> I I think through, during this season, I've went from no way we're gonna make the playoffs. Even if we make the playoffs, we're gonna be gone in a round. We're not gonna make the play. Oh, hey, we might make the playoffs. And now here I stand. On February the 16th of 2024. Wait, it's not
2: January 5th?
0: No, I don't think so. <laughs> Dude, not guys, I think that this team would be a pain in the ass for somebody in the first round. A huge pain. And like what we were talking about before we started recording, you got a goaltender yeah. that can steal games and can steal a series. Why would we try to trade anything? Why?
2: I think we make some noise, boys. So, I, 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 I'm on the same page as Donnie, and I don't know how I got here because maybe that might not be a good thing. No, it's not a good thing. Honestly, I should, (laughs) I should think about my life where I'm at right now. But so we were talking about this on post game last night, and Joey was the one that brought it up. I'm not the one that brought it up, but Joey and I were talking, and he's like. You're at the point now where if you're a front office and you're this team, you just won, what is it, eight of your last ten games, and you beat some very tough opponents. Like from December 14th up until now, we were all calling it a gauntlet, and you found ways to win these hockey games. You're getting bounces going your way. You're getting contributions from players you didn't expect it from, Jake Nabors, Robert Thomas. But the way Joey said it is where I come at on it. You've got goaltending, and you've got something that I would say – five, maybe four of the playoff teams in the Western Conference aren't sure if they have. Like, if you go down the list, Dallas has got Jake Ottinger, but if he gets hurt, they're in trouble. Colorado needs a goaltender. Winnipeg's got their goaltender, but let's be honest, Connor Hellebuck always gets a little bit tired for how much they use him by the playoffs. But then you go to the Pacific... Edmonton you just saw like Stuart Skinner you put six goals up on him you also have Vegas who if Aiden Hill gets injured that's a problem and then you've got the Vancouver Canucks who Thatcher Demko you've beaten like you've got the better goaltender than I would say three to four of those teams and he has found ways to rob hockey games I'm not saying you start trading Jimmy Snuggerud and Dalibor Dvorsky. like don't be stupid with it but rather than Sitting and waiting, I think it might be time if you're the front office to say, like, what else are we going to wait? Like, you don't get these types of goaltenders very often Mm -hmm. that can steal you series. If you look at this roster and say, yeah, you know, we're weak in two areas. We probably want to strengthen our defense and we need secondary scoring. Why wouldn't you look at the trade deadline and say, let's see what we could get rather than say, well, we don't want to do anything or yeah, you know what? I think we're just fooling ourselves. Let's sell pieces off. You got an opportunity to steal at least one round of the playoff, and what's the ultimate goal here, Jr? The ultimate goal is progress for a retool, and how do you make progress? You get to the playoffs, and you try and steal a series.
1: Yeah, I'm all for what you're talking about, progress. You know, people ask all the time, is it you know, does it make sense to to get to the playoffs? Um, you know, if that means you can't get a, a better draft pick. And, and I always say, yeah, that playoff experience, I mean, the Jake Neighbors, those guys that like, go through a series when you eventually get to that point where you can be a contender, all those one series years, you know, add up and, and they give right. you a little bit. So you're not going in there wide eyed that year that you're ready uh, to contend. So here's the way I look at it in terms of blues, making the playoffs and, and such uh, big picture. Are they a great team? No. Are they a team that I think scares people? I don't think so, except for the goaltending. Um, you know, do, do they have the depth and the grit to go on a Stanley Cup run? I don't think so. But can they make the playoffs? Yes, they can. And the, what I like about this recent stretch, and you talk about the 8 out of 10, You know, you have that game against Columbus, and granted the break came off it, but you're able to shake it off and then go play well against Mm -hmm. Buffalo, Montreal. And then you have that dud in Toronto, and you come back and you beat a really good Edmonton team. And the reason I'm setting it up the way I am is this. You know, you're not talking about a team that poor execution for one, two, three, four games, and then finally they have a good one. You have a situation where what the hell happened in Columbus? (laughs) I have no idea, but they were able to park it. And yep. they, can, they can tell you, hey, we're a better team than that. We know it. We're going to get it back. And then Toronto, hey, there's games throughout the 82-game year that you're just not going to have your legs, and that was one of those games. Now, if they come out last night and you see the same mm-hmm. lack of energy, but what I see here is a team that whatever problems they had were isolated and they were able to get back on track and play hockey, and you would think that they'd be able to do that you know, the rest of the way here. So the way I see it is, hey, if you're Doug and they continue to play like they are right now leading into the deadline, you probably stand pat, you might add a piece, like you said, secondary scoring, whatever, and then roll the dice in the playoffs with the goaltending that
2: you have. Part of me wants to, and and maybe this comp is completely off because I was like 18 at the time, but that first year that they made the playoffs post-lockout, what was that, 08-09 with Andy Murray and and they had the Chris Mason run? This team reminds me a little of that team, mostly because, like, you have to get your feet wet in terms of playoff experience. I know they got Shannon Pareko and Tori Krug, but to those guys that you just mentioned, the Jake Neighbors, I think it benefits a player like Jordan Kyrou to get another taste of the playoffs. I think it benefits you to have a Matt Kessel get the taste of the playoffs. Like, this feels a little like that that year where they got in off of a second-half run and you were thinking, like, oh, hey, they're not going to win the Stanley Cup but could they go out there and make some noise because they're one of the hottest teams in the NHL. Yeah,
1: and Alex, what's the difference you and I talked about this last year? What's the difference if you get the 17th pick instead of the 13th pick? Absolutely so nothing. So you're four slots down, but you made a you played even if you get swept, you yeah. played four playoff games. The only
2: thing that matters is a top 10 pick. Like you want if you're in this that position, you want a top 10 pick. And if you're not getting it, all of those other picks you rely on your scouting department to find a gem. And guess what? The scouting department that the Blues have. Is they, finding gems. Dvorsky was great. But, guys, a lot of prospects are talking more about Otto Stenberg and Theo Lindstein for what they were. And they were late 20s. Robert Thomas was a late draft pick. Jake Neighbors was a late draft pick. Like, I'm not worried. As long as you're not drafting in the second round and don't pick in the first round, at this point you don't really care as much unless if unless you're picking in the top ten. Right
0: on. Well, I mean, that makes sense. Okay, so I even feel like last night's game was like sort of a bit of like a microcosm of what we have seen lately. The first period is not great. It's not great. <laughs> but then they came out second period with their friggin' asses on fire, and they absolutely took it to Edmonton for that entire period. Now, again, the third had its ups and downs. You know, it's not as though that you see this sort of like consistent thing every night, but they are able to respond when they get down, and that's something that they absolutely did not do at the beginning of the season. When they got down, they were dead, Mm -hmm. and so you had, man, I mean, you had those great saves by Bennington in the first period. You had the the almost the goal at as time expired, Mm -hmm. and it just. It just seemed like the second period I was waiting for them to come out like they were mad. And boy, they sure the hell did and brought it to them. And that's what just got me thinking. Why not? Yeah. I, why not? I just feel like we have the ability to be a real big pain in the ass. Those
2: saves that Bennington made are why Joey and I kind of got to that point in post game because, like, when your goalie makes those saves, you remember that Colorado Avalanche series two years ago, where I mean, Bennington was robbing all of those players, and it got to the point where they were in their own head, like they were looking at the banner every time they took a shot. Like Zach Hyman did that twice on one power play <laughs> in the first period, and that team was probably like, "Man, how are we going to get past this guy?" and after they did get that power play goal, and then they scored the one, but it, it, it felt like an Edmonton team, like, we're not going to be able to solve this guy, and then they had nothing. Like, Connor McDavid had two shot attempts in the final two periods of play. Like, that. that's, now, there were, like, seven penalties that Edmonton took that kept him off the ice a lot, yeah. but that's their dumb fault. But when he was all on the ice, two shot attempts, so... The Binnington saves, I just feel like it makes teams second-guess themselves, and you're seeing that depth of scoring that Donnie talked about. Like, that second period was all Jake Neighbors. Oh, dude. It's only a kick. A jump. A
1: block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle.
2: A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure.
1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE.
0: I, 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 I believe that my love is starting to go towards an almost unhealthy level. I thought, you were, I
2: thought the shirt was going to come off and twirl around at Enterprise last night when neighbors did that. Dude, it was... it When, when he scored,
0: I started yelling... My guy. That's my guy. And my daughter is just cracking up. And then when he got the assist on the next one, I was like, that's my guy again. And like, I just, I love every, I mean, it's everything. And then also, I did what you guys told me to do. So I watched the post-game game. Uh, interview mm-hmm. that the blues posted and dude you guys are so right he gives the best and most thoughtful responses to his questions like in depth things about the game that you're like oh dude this is not just a th- this is not just an athlete answer to get out of the press to go back right. this is a guy that's really like, giving you info. I freaking love him. I <laughs> yeah. love
1: him. Yeah, and we talked about you. I'm glad you said that because we talked about that a couple weeks ago, and I was saying listen to the responses yeah. that he gives. And, and the reason I say that, even at last night, I watched that also. And, you know, it's it's like a guy or a student or a professor where they know the information so when they speak to it, you can tell they know the information, yep. right? They're not just off the cuff coming up with whatever they can think of. You know, he knows what to say, in those situations and then also you know the breakdown of the play and and how i mean you look at some of these plays that he's made in the past couple weeks that the, the bank pass off the boards yeah. to shen that least some of these things are advanced and then he can explain his thinking as to what he's doing on these plays i just think the intelligence is through the roof with dude and
0: he's, he's 21. i know he where is this guy going to be at 25 <laughs> and then the even better part of it is younger Blues being exposed to what he does every day at the rink, practice, game, whatever, that is. Has me super excited to know that they'll have that guy in the room. Yeah, it's
1: crazy to think that he was the guy. Sorry, I'll tell you. That fine. he was the guy who's like watching the veterans, and now the young guys should be watching him. And wow, like and the said, veterans are
2: kind of watching him <laughs> right. too. Like I, I don't know if this to be true. This just might be a, a tinfoil theory. But like I think the way Jake Neighbors plays is leaking off on Jordan Kyrou. Jordan Kyrou is scoring goals in front of the crease. Like his power play goals have all been standing on the doorstep, and that's like Jake Nabors his area. Like I feel like players are. Playing Playing like Jake Neighbors because they're seeing the success Steve Ott said it last night with uh, with Joe and curves and he said what well, Jake, Jake Neighbors has ability that other players at that age the, the coaching staff says they call skittish and what he means by that is like when when you have that play that led to the goal it was the Tory crew goal he said normal young players in that position they panic and they just got to get it to the front of the net and he said Jake Neighbors." curled that puck in, looked behind him and saw Tory crew coming down the slot and got it to him. And he said, that's, you don't teach that. He said, that's just stuff players have. It's just a calm comfort when it comes to their ability on the ice. And then,
1: and then a guy like Jake, I'll use him for an example. They never take credit. So when you say, Jake, tell us about that play where he yeah. set up Tory Crew. Well, that was all him. He was, uh, he was calling for it. He was yelling. So I just tried to yeah. find a place to send it to him to get the puck or find a place. Yeah. He feathered it through. <laughs> and he even
0: said something about like, uh, like my line mates. Oh, yeah, like, when like, he uh,
2: if you're going to be a 20-goal scorer, and he's like, oh, that's not me. That's everybody that I play with. Stop it. He's a captain. <laughs> like, like like, he
0: is a captain. Well, what's so great, too, is there were you know definitely a couple of times last night where like I noticed Jordan Cairo on his horse hustling back to the defensive end. And I know that that's not something that we are going to see 100% of the time, okay? I get it. But, but... It seems as though that the drive has kicked in for Jordan Cairo uh, to to some degree from what we were seeing earlier in the season, and I think that Drew Bannister probably has a whole hell of a lot to do with it because, I mean, he has seemed like, I don't want to say a different player since Perubi left, but it mm-hmm. definitely seems like he's kind of coming to his own a little bit more under Drew Bannister. Yeah.
2: So, so let me give you guys two stat lines because we talked about this last night. Grant Francis, our uh, outstanding producer on Blues with me, he likes to play a game called Look at Their Numbers from Last Year to This Year. Tell me which Jordan Kyrou you would like on your team. This year. Yeah, 53. <laughs> yeah, come on, Jay. You can't cheat like <laughs> that, man. got to play the game, man. This is man. like Candyland. You can't <laughs> stack the damn cards. 53 games played, 25 goals, 54 points, and a minus 24. That was last year's Jordan Cairo, 53 games, 18 goals, 42 points, a minus four. I mean, he is a, he is almost 20 goals differential in terms of being on the ice against. And yeah, he's got seven goals less than what he was last year and in, in uh, 12 points less. But I think I would much rather, as much as I want, and I fall victim to this because like you see Jordan Cairo and you get frustrated because you're thinking $8 million, you need to be a 35, 40 goal scorer. That's what you're getting paid for. But we, we complained so much last season about how he's a liability. You can't play him on the ice. And now we're talking about a guy who, f- through 53 games, is a minus four. And that's a minus four of a guy who's playing on the top line with Robert Thomas and Pavel Bucinavich. I, I I hope that he's in the same category that Robert Thomas was last year to where it was like you looked at it and you said, "How oh, you want more. Where's that next level coming from? But in one season, Jordan Cairo completely changed the definition of him being a not a defensive player. And I'm not saying he's a Selkie Trophy candidate, but he's not a liability. I mean, he's in games for you. He's creating opportunities in offense, but he's also not looking like a minus 36.
1: Yeah, I, t- I think two things. One is that the frustration level between Jordan Cairou and Craig Bruby probably reached a level that it, he, he was going to be a good player in the league, but I don't know that that relationship could have continued and Jordan Cairo... Continue yeah. to soar for one. And number two, you talk about since Bannister came in, not that Craig Bruby didn't bench Kairou because he did and, and you know, and took some shifts away from yeah. him, so on and so forth. But when you have a situation where, okay, let's flip Kapanen with him. Let's pull Kairou down a line or two. Oh, we're going to put Jake Neighbors on top line, which Craig Bruby did mm-hmm. too. And now all of a sudden two things happen. Now all of a sudden you give Neighbors more. And he takes it so he grows. You can see him develop more. And by the way, Kyra's going, wait a minute, now Neighbors is in my spot and he's scoring goals. You know, I need to do and get on the train here and, and, and do what these guys are doing. So, you know, I think that uh, Bannister's done a great job. And I think Craig Ruby was trying to, it just wasn't connecting. The message was not getting there.
0: This is probably maybe not a reason, but it, but it seems as though – Shortly after Drew Bannister got here, the Blues fourth line kind of settled in to a uh, Torpchenko, Walker, um, S- Sunny. And, and that seemed to be a very nice table setter <laughs> a lot of <laughs> nights. And um, I almost feel like a lot of the good place and the way that they're playing kind of started there. Is that kind of a silly thing to to say? I, I mean, it just seems as though that line again just is is really good at it. If nothing else, saying "Hello, boys, we're here," yeah. and the next sixty minutes ain't going to be easy for
1: you. No, I think you're right. And you know, when you look at a team and you say, "Okay, they're having success because of Nathan Walker, Sunquist, Toropchik," you know, it's it's hard to say that a team's playing well because of that. But I think a couple of things. You talk to Blues players, and I, I talked to one recently who said, you know, Tori Krug. He said. We evolved into a rush team, and I don't think that's winning, sustaining hockey in terms of being a rush team. And we just kind of evolved into that. So then when you can reestablish that forecheck and that gritty, hardworking, and and you see the success that that line has – those other lines, yeah, they might have more skill. They might, you know, be rush oriented, but they're still going to say, okay, that's working. You know, that's what we need to do. That's what this team needs to be. And then when you look at Bannister, and he's putting those guys out at the start of games, the start of periods. They put him out at the start of the Montreal game. What does Toropchenko do? He, he looks like <laughs> puts a highlight reel goal up on, yeah, this on the board. And and then here's my question, Donnie. You know, and things are decided behind the scenes that I'm not privy to all the information, but. Nathan Walker, all he did for the past three years in St. Louis was have success when he came here and you noticed him every night out, but for whatever reason he wasn't on that opening night roster, I think that having him in st louis instead of springfield at the start of the year mm-hmm. you know he could have really helped that fourth line finally they made the call brought him up i think he's been great ever since you see him put revo on his butt the other night yeah geez. yeah, yeah. He, he's a
0: big part of what yeah. that fourth line's doing i yeah. mean he and, and, and you you said it absolutely nailed it every time that guy is on the ice you know that he's out there with that said are we going to continue to see Sammy Blay scratched? I mean, because to me, one of the things I love so much about Sammy, and obviously he was in a bit of a different role last year after the trades. He was getting more ice and that sort of thing. But, like, there have been times where I'm like, oh, Sammy Blay played tonight? Mm-hmm. I didn't I, – and I, I feel like I never had those kinds of games last year. Am I imagining that? What
2: happened? Yeah, well, and I think some of that is, too, like you said, Donnie, that was circumstantial. Like he was playing in your top six last year. He was getting opportunities and he was scoring goals, where now you're not seeing those same opportunities. He's hitting. That's what Don – or what Sammy's been doing. I, I think you're just going to see a rotating, right? You're going to see a rotation of Sammy Blay – and Nikita Alexandrov on that fourth line because I it's very obvious that they're looking for somebody to play on that third line with Kevin Hayes. They put Torovchenko up there last night to start. Nathan Walker got some reps up there, and they kind of went back and forth. I think Sonny was playing with them by the end of the game. They they, they need their fourth line because you do need that identity line, and it has been Sonny and Torovchenko and Walker, but you also can't – hurt that third line because you need the depth of scoring with Hayes and Saad so I think it's going to be rotating until somebody can take hold of that frankly if if I'm being frank with it I think it's also going to be until they either make a move for another forward or Jimmy Snuggerud comes in to play and then you put that fourth line put together but yeah I, I mean I haven't seen much from Alexandrov when he has played Sammy Blay at least brings that physical presence but Alexandrov is a former second-round draft pick, so I'm sure the Blues are probably thinking, what does he have to offer? Well,
1: and maybe this ties back to what you were saying earlier, Alex, is if this team is in a playoff spot and Doug Armstrong is inclined to add something, maybe it is that third-line right-side yep. guy to come in. And or kinda... the second line and you put Kapanen down on the third yeah, line. Yeah, exactly. He could do that. So a mm-hmm. kind of a middle six guy, as you were saying, because I really do think that if, if you're going to play game one of the playoffs that Alexandrov can't be in the lineup right now. Right. And, and I think you need Toropchenko – or a Sunquiz on that fourth line. You don't Agreed. want to move them up. Uh so I think you probably need that middle six forward and, and slot them down because um uh, that fourth line is going to be I mean I'm not saying you're gonna win a round or two, right. but if you're gonna be competitive it's critical for him. That fourth line needs to be intact.
0: All right guys uh so Justin Falk out Scott Perunovich out. Perunovich I believe has been skating. Mm-hmm. Uh Falk I do not believe has been at
2: Which all. Bannister continues to say he's day-to-day also. So he's, he hasn't been skating, but he's day-to-day. He actually, and this
1: is NHL coaches, not just Bannister, but he actually said yesterday he's not close, but he's day-to-day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that makes no sense. All right. I so injuries
2: in hockey. <laughs> okay, so
0: guys, what happens to the D when those two guys are back and healthy? And here's a big thing. So Brunovich probably going to be back first.
2: Mm-hmm. I think Pertovich goes right into Cali Rosen spot. All like right. I, we all love Cali Rosen. Right, right, right. Cali Rosen, I think, is a great seventh defenseman. But Pertovich goes there because right. then he's playing a power play. He was playing well with Marcos Scandella before he got injured. I think he just slots right back in and they just keep going with where they're at.
0: Okay, so there's that. So then what happens when Justin Folk comes <laughs> back then?
2: That one will handle right. the get insider. insider. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I saw this coming to my Donny, oh, Thanks for listening to me earlier in our show prep. <laughs> <laughs> well, because Justin Folk is not close, but day-to-day. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> don't
0: you weasel out of this I one. I don't
1: know if he's going to play in April or tomorrow. But, <laughs> right. But I think it's well, a situation. good coach speak. Hey, one thing I've learned over the years is you sit here and say, okay, this guy's two, three weeks away, whatever. Uh, well, what's going to happen when he comes back? Well, two other guys are going to be injured <laughs> yeah. when he comes back. But sure. you always got to do the disclaimer that if everybody's healthy, then then what happens? And I just think it's you know, a situation right now where, yeah, Perunovic probably takes Rosen's spot, right? But Falk comes in, and it's like, is he ready, ready? Because I know this is a separate injury from mm-hmm. the last one, but remember when he came la- back last time? Played, like, two games. Yeah, he, he was very hesitant on the ice. Wasn't ready. So, does he start out third pair, I think, for now, you keep uh, Krug and Kessel together. And I think when Falk comes back, you probably still keep those Two together, but it'll be interesting. You know who who comes out if you keep Kessel in? Does Scandella come out? You know, I think if Perunovic is healthy and playing well, you need him to quarterback one of those power plays. Mm-hmm. So he's a tough guy to to pull out. So if and when Falk <laughs> is healthy, he'll get
2: back in there. But it'll be interesting. To see this is out. my only demand. Not demand. That sounded, that sounded <laughs> aggressive. I can't make demands. I'm a freaking I, podcaster. Just so
0: you know, you didn't really sound aggressive <laughs> at all. Okay, you, did, cool. you just said, this I is have a demand. My <laughs> demand. All right, you know when I
2: didn't have that high pitch of a voice. I, <laughs> don't break Krug and Kessel up. Just don't break Krug and Kessel up. I understand that Falcon Krug have played well together in the past. They haven't when they played together this season. You cannot deny what Matthew Kessel, and and I know Joe had mentioned this on one of the pregames with me, like scouts are starting to talk about Matthew Kessel and how he's playing around the NHL. I don't know what he's going to become, but what I do know is Torrey Krug is a significantly different defenseman in the 20-plus games that he has played with Matthew Kessel than what we've seen from him in the last year and a half. You can't break up Krug and Kessel. Your top four, in my opinion, is set in place. Really what we're discussing is what happens with the third pair. I'll be darn. Well, but also, too, I mean, I want to see the points from Krug since he's been playing with Kessel. Oh, I looked at this. I think it well prior to his five-assist game, and then he got, what, two points last night? Yep. One point, if I'm not mistaken? At least one. Prior to these past two games, he had nine total points, and I, I think it was – 15 games that he had played with Matthew Kessel. I acted like I had it. I looked at this the other night. He 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 was at about nine points, and one all were assists because the goal hadn't been scored. But, yeah, I mean, he had put nine, nine assists together in about 15 games, and I think he was only a minus four, and the minus that he was was when he played in that short sample size with Justin Falk when he came back. Like, he and Matthew Kessel have been together, and it's been less than a minus five when they were on the ice together.
0: So, we can't break that up
2: no it and doesn't the five assists that he just had and then of course the two points last night so i mean now we're talking about like 16 points in that time frame and again it just seems like
0: he is a visible Speaking of Tory Krug, a mm-hmm. visible difference maker every night. He's salty. Oh, he's so salty, <laughs> and, and, and I absolutely love that. Scandella throwing the, throwing down last that was night, great. getting getting into a a, a fight. Uh, it was um, it's very nice because it just seems as though, and we talked about this last week and the week prior, but it just definitely seems like there has been some cohesion over the course of the last month or so with this team. They just look different, and they look like they're playing for each other. And it's, it's noticeable and awesome.
1: Yeah, it seems like there's a pretty good vibe going right now. And, you know, I've said this before earlier in the season, but I think once that calendar turns to January 1 and you see that you're in contention, I think you look around the room, okay, this is what we've got. This is what we need. To, okay, this is how many points we're down or up in, in the standings. It, guys, we can do this. It just seems always to be that sense of, pulling together when you have the right chemistry in the locker room. We yeah. all know that when that's not there, I mean, it's it's hard to do. And especially for the Blues the past, you know, however many years, when the expectations are so high and you're not going to come close to meeting them like we mm-hmm. saw, you know, last year and why Doug had to go into this retool, that's when things start to fracture in the locker room. This is the exact opposite of that situation. This is the team who Doug Armstrong said, well, we hope to finish third. Well, here you are in a wild card spot and you might be, distance from third place and can't get that. But the playoffs are attainable. And you want to, as a player, if you're Braden, Shan, Torrey, Krug, give Doug Armstrong a reason not to move two or three of these unrestricted guys or a big guy. So I think that's where you see kind of just that cohesion that you're talking about, that grit. And and what you said earlier – you know, when it is a one, two goal game in the third period, staying in those games instead of, okay, we're too far out of the play. We're going to fall back. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's confidence. I mean, that's something that the team didn't have at all last season. And I mean, you can't deny in what, 26 games, this team every single time they've been down and out of a game, you're thinking when they could come back in this one, yeah like there's maybe been a handful of games that you look at and say, they're not coming back. But overall, since Drew Bannister has taken over, if they're down by one goal, two goal, the doubt creeps in of like, man, they might be able to come back into this hockey game where at the first chunk of the season we were thinking every time they score first, you're done. Right, Unless, right. unless Columbus gets an insurmountable one nothing <laughs> lead on you. That's very true. <laughs> I mean, that was done. I,
0: I, I got to tell you, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but no, that was po- potentially one of the worst hockey games that I've ever watched in my entire life.
2: Grant texted me because he filled in on pre and post. That was when I was in Disney. And he goes, you did this on purpose, didn't you? You picked this game to leave for it. I said, well, you needed to get some practice somehow, right? Donny, Columbus yes. game would you go to
1: or Bon Jovi concert? Oh, Columbus game. Or a Rascal Flats
2: concert.
0: Uh, whoa, whoa. Rascal Flatts or Bon Jovi. Okay, listen. Here's what I'm going to say. Uh, I would go... W- wait, am I going with you? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, then I'd probably go to Rascal Flats Let's because go. then at least I know you'd be having you a good the time. You <laughs> get <laughs> And, like, and it serious. would be like an experience. Like, watching the people there, I think, would entertain me while being at Bon Jovi and... Uh, no, both I concerts. So you have to wear a cowboy hat. But, but you...
1: Tommy used to work. See, on that's not dog. even
0: cool. <laughs> I told you though. I don't know if I. I don't know who I told. But so I just got done reading uh, Little Steven's book. Steven Van Zandt, who's in the E Street Band, was Sill mm-hmm. on The Sopranos, Hammer, just amazing. And um, he has almost a chapter on Jersey guys. All right, and he has three or four pages on John Bon Jovi. Really? And he seems. Awesome. Like, (laughs) he seems like an awesome freaking guy. And the same for Richie Sambora. And I know that uh, Bon Jovi and Richie Sambora don't get along anymore or whatever. But, like, they just seem like regular kind of guys. And I hate Brian's like, I hate this stupid book because I don't like Bon Jovi. Every time that Living on a Prayer comes on the radio, my son will turn up the radio and then look at me and go, what? what because he knows that i don't like it. like he knows so rascal troll. flats not bon jovi and there's no way i'm wearing a cowboy hat to anything i mean ever <laughs> in my life that's not going on this head ever ever i mean ever jr looks good in a cowboy Photoshop hat
1: shop opportunity you know pick.
0: what jake neighbors wants me to hang out with him i'll wear a cow jake hat. neighbors loves some country music <laughs> that's so sad <laughs> That's kind of what I wondered if maybe that's part of one of Kairu's problems, is that he spends all the time <laughs> with t- and terrible and, and, like, pools with DJs.
2: Like man, I wish people could see that. Yeah, we'll have a. Yeah, we're gonna have YouTube soon, so people can see see my see my dance moves. He was just DJ Khaled there for
0: a minute. I just I I follow him on Instagram, and I'm like, dude, maybe you'd play better if you didn't listen to such crap. But you know, that's that's just me. Okay, well, I think I've run this thing into the ground Uh, for uh, my guys in studio here, Alex Ferrario and Jamie Rutherford and Jamie Rivers, who's out and about somewheres, and our good friend Jeff Burton, who is uh, watching over watching over us and uh and laughing while he's looking at porn thank you very much for listening (laughs) to the last minute blues podcast as always let's go blues